Be seated. Amen. Well, it's great to see everyone here this morning, as always, on a wonderful Lord's Day uh, that God has given to us. If you're visiting with us here this morning, we're especially glad you're here. Thank you for coming uh, to spend this uh, Lord's Day near the beginning of this year with us. And we pray that your time here with us this morning will be a great blessing to you as we uh, study the Bible together and as you fellowship with God's people here and as we worship Him together. Uh, next week, the plan is to begin First Peter, to begin our next book study. And uh, one of the things I would encourage you to do this week and maybe along over these next few months is just sit down sometime when you have a few minutes and just read through the book of 1 Peter. Um, I've done that a couple times this week already. I plan to do it every day this coming week. It takes, I, I timed it the other day. It took me about 10 minutes. So to read the five chapters of 1 Peter, just reading at a, a really uh, you know, normal pace, takes about 10 minutes time. So you can read through that entire book and just kind of begin to immerse our minds in this book together as we begin our study of that next time. Uh, this morning, though, as we're kind of getting settled into the new year, I want to bring a message from Psalm 121. If you'll turn there with me. We finished last year before we went into the Christmas season with a series on the Psalms, so I thought I might kind of finish that off and cap that off with one Psalm here as we begin the new year. So um, if you'll turn there with me to Psalm 121, I've titled this message, uh, Full Coverage. Uh, many people make uh, music playlists uh, for road trips or vacations. Uh, some favorite songs we like to listen to as uh, we go out to hit the road. And uh, when we used to travel to New Mexico with our sons... Uh, we would, uh, when our sons were younger, we'd listen to music on the way out there. And uh, for some reason, I don't know why, but it became a tradition. I don't know how it got started, but as we'd get near there to, to Re, in the Rio Doso area in New Mexico, we'd get near the mountains there, we'd always listen to Dan Fogelberg music. Now, some of you probably remember that. They're a little bit older. And uh, what's interesting is that music still reminds me of those trips when I hear it again. You all know how music triggers thoughts in your mind, and so that music holds a real special place in my heart. Uh, but some good music, as you're, you're on the road, it kind of shortens the, 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 the uh, miles a little bit. It smooths out the road, and it uh, creates some indelible memories. It enhances the journey. But in some sense, this is nothing new because... Uh, you might be interested to know that Psalms 120 through Psalm 134 comprise an ancient playlist of songs, if you will, for a road trip that the Jewish people would make uh, for their annual feasts up to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, th this uh, playlist has become known as the, the Songs of Ascents. In fact, if you look in your Bible there at Psalm 120, uh, the psalm right before the one we're looking at here this morning, you'll see the superscription there says, A Song of Ascents. And Psalm 120 through Psalm 134 all bear uh, that superscription. And uh, really you could call these the, the songs of, going, of goings up is really one way to translate that. Because uh, Jerusalem is an elevated city. It's a little bit over 2,500 uh, feet above sea level. It's kind of on a mountainous plateau. They're surrounded by hills. And so people would go up to the city of Jerusalem. So these, these songs of ascents were sung by these pilgrims as they would make their way to uh, the city of Jerusalem. So this collection of 15 psalms here is kind of the, the ancient Hebrew playlist, if you will, for this journey. Now, all of the Jewish men were required for three of these feasts to go to Jerusalem. Um, oftentimes, though, their families would accompany them. They, they'd travel in large caravans. And there were three annual feasts that, that the adult males had to go to. Uh, Passover was in the spring. The Feast of Pentecost was in early summer. And then the Feast of Tabernacles was in the fall. 
And on their journey, Psalms 120 through 134 uh, was their playlist. And if you read through this, they're, they're fitting psalms and songs for that journey. And so this morning, what I want to do is select one of these songs from this ancient playlist, Psalm 121. And uh, this is the second of these Psalms of Ascent. So let me read this for us. And I hope this first verse, first two verses are familiar to you. And uh, these would be great verses if you've not done so uh, to memorize. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, who will not allow your foot to slip. Who will he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. So reads God's inspired word. Uh, this psalm has be, uh, come to be known over history as the Traveler's Psalm. And you can kind of see why it's that way as we, we've read through it here. Uh, David Livingston, the great missionary from Scotland, when he set out to, to go to the heart of Africa in 1840, David Livingston sat down with his father and his sister. And they read Psalm 121 together before he set out. Uh, there's a, a pastor in church history named William uh, Romaine. He was a friend of Jonathan Edwards, and it's said that he read this psalm every day of his life as he entrusted it, his life and the life of his family to God's care. Psalm 121 is a very simple psalm, but it's about trusting in God's care when we travel, but also at all times of life. All of the circumstances and activities of life are really encompassed uh, in this psalm. And there's no mistaking the thrust of this psalm or what it's about. You'll notice in uh, verse 1, you have the word help. And then in verse 2, you have the word help. But then in verses 3 through 8, six times, you have a different word that's used there, the, the word keep. Notice in verse 3, he will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Verse 4, behold, he keeps Israel. Uh, verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. Verse 7, the Lord will protect you. That's the same Hebrew word. He will keep your soul. Then down in verse 8, the Lord will guard. And again, that's the same word that's used there. So this word used six times in verses 3 through 8 means to guard or to protect or to watch over or to take care of. The first time this word is used in the Bible is back in Genesis 2.15 when God put Adam in the Garden of Eden and it says he put him there to keep it. That is to watch over it and uh, to take care of it. This word was used of, of a man, a shepherd, watching over his flock or a man watching over a house. So that's what this psalm is about. It's about God helping us and God watching over us all the time, wherever we go. And one of my favorite things about this psalm is five times in it, you have the name for God, Yahweh. Over and over again, it's the name Yahweh that's used here. The, the great I am, the great covenant God of Israel. So the one who is watching over you and me, if we know God through a relationship with Jesus Christ, the one who's watching over us is none other uh, than Yahweh, the great I am. So this is a great psalm, I think, to focus on at the beginning of the year. I'm in a world fraught with danger. The Bible tells us here in this psalm that we have a God who helps us. 
So as we set the course for the new year, I want to focus our hearts and minds on the gracious, kind help and and keeping of our God. Now, there's three things about God's help in this psalm. God's help is a capable help, it's a constant help, and it's a comprehensive help. Now, the first thing here is God's help is a capable help. Now, there's an actor whose name is Jake. Is it Gyllenhaal? Some of you probably know that. He's a real handsome young actor. I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but I know who he is. Anyway, Jake Gyllenhaal. We'll say that's how you pronounce it. But he says that every journey starts with fear. And there's a lot of truth to that because no matter how routine or mundane a trip might be, it always holds the prospect of some danger. Even just leaving your home and you know, driving across town in Edmond and back, every trip holds the prospect of some danger. There's always the unknown. And travel always has a measure of insecurity about it. Uh, we're out of our comfort zones, and it's especially true if you travel internationally. There's a lot of, uh, of discomfort there and a lot of things as you get out of your comfort zone with different languages and different kind of food and all of that. Uh, the road is filled with all kinds of potential dangers and hazards and pitfalls. We never know what can happen when we hit the road. I uh, like a story Paul Harvey told years ago about a biker, and he had a message printed on the back of his leather jacket that said, if you can't read this, my wife fell off. I mean, a lot of bad stuff can happen when you get out on the road, right? Now, So the context of this psalm is a road trip, and this was sung from the homes of these pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem. And we know that because if you look at Psalm 120, the psalmist here is away from Jerusalem. Notice he says down in verse 5, Woe is me, for I sojourn in Meshach. I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long as my soul had its dwelling with those who hate peace, and so on. Then if you drop down to Psalm 122, the psalm after our psalm for this morning, the psalmist said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem that's built as a city that is compact together. So in Psalm 120, the psalmist is away from Jerusalem. In Psalm 122, he's in Jerusalem. So obviously Psalm 121 is the bridge there between that encompasses that journey uh, to the city of Jerusalem. So wherever these men were, all over, Jeru- all over the city, uh, the, the nation of Israel, they had to go up to Jerusalem. And again, often their families would go with them. But they would sing this song at the beginning of their journey. So wherever they were in the land of Israel, they'd probably gather their families together, a caravan of people, and they would sing this song together because they would look out to the hills, all kinds of mountains and hills they had to traverse and valleys. And of course, the city of Jerusalem itself is surrounded by hills. So they would look out to those hills and they would think about all the anticipated dangers that were there awaiting them. Uh, Dangers like uh, exposure and thirst, hunger, illness, accidents, robbers, wild animals. The thought of the the long, arduous journey was, was a daunting thing. And so filled here with apprehension, the psalmist wonders where he can find a sense of security. So I lift up my eyes to the mountains or to the hills. And what's the question? Where's my help going to come from? Who's going to help me on this journey with all these anticipated dangers that are out there? Who's the one that's going to give me help and going to give me protection? And the psalmist's fears are answered by looking beyond the mountains to the one who made the mountains. 
By looking beyond the creation and the creature to the creator, the maker of heaven and earth. And of course, this takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I like what Derek Kidner, a well-known Old Testament commentator, says about this. He says, The thought of this verse leaps beyond the hills to the universe, beyond the universe to its maker, to the vast expanse of creation. They say that wherever you are on earth at any given time, if it's a a clear night, you can see about 3,000 stars from any place on earth. But the universe, they say, contains uh, 70 sextillion stars. That's a seven with 22 zeros after it. And the Bible tells us God not only created them and God not only has numbered them, but God has named every one of them. And God didn't just make it all, but He maintains it and controls and directs everything. God is the maker of heaven and earth. There's a story I read about a young man. He came home from college, and a lot of people go to college, and there's a lot of doubt and skepticism there that's infused into them. And he came back, and he told his his father that he was having problems with some of the miracles in the Bible, especially the story of Jonah and the whale. He said, uh, you know, I have to, and then the father said, well, I have to say to you, son, I've had trouble with that story myself, so let's talk about it. So they sat down and the the father asked his son, well, what's your problem? And he says, well, I don't see how God could put put, uh, Jonah in the whale and keep him underwater for three days. I just can't understand that or believe it. And his father said this, your trouble is too superficial. My problem's a great deal deeper than that. The problem with me was not how God could put Jonah in the whale and keep the whale and Jonah in the water for three days and three nights. Rather, my problem is, how could God make Jonah or make a whale? That, it seems to me, is the more fundamental problem. And if we grant that God is big enough to create a whale or a great fish, and especially a man such as Jonah, then to have Jonah swallowed by a great fish is no real problem at all. And I like that because in life, for you and me, Genesis 1-1 is the launching pad for all of life. If you believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, you're not going to have problems with the miracles of the Bible. You're not going to have problems with the virgin birth. You're not going to have problems with any of the things you read in the rest of Scripture. Genesis 1-1 is the beginning point. It's what we need to get cemented in our minds. And if God is big enough and great enough to make heaven and to make earth, then surely God can watch over me and he can watch over you and can watch over our families. The the God who, who helps us is the maker of heaven and earth. There's a man one time that asked his pastor, he said, Pastor, do you believe there's life on other planets? The pastor said, well, no, I really don't. I don't believe there's life on other planets. There's not intelligent life there. And the man said, well, then why would God go to all the trouble to make all those planets and stars? And the pastor said, what trouble? I mean, God just said it and it was so. You know, we often think, you know, well, God went to all that trouble to create all that space that's out there and all those planets and stars. But all God did was spoke the word. In fact, if you go back to Genesis 1, it's so understated, it's just overwhelming. It says there in Genesis chapter 1 is God's listing the things that he creates and it says, and he made the stars also. It's just almost thrown in there as an after. And he made the stars also. Just speaks it and it comes into being. But the God who creates everything then obviously can control everything. 
The God who created everything controls everything, and He can help you right now whatever your need might be. Because He doesn't just create it, He upholds it and He sustains it. Over in Hebrews chapter 1, it says, speaking of Jesus Christ, that He upholds all things by the word of His power. And the, the Greek word that's used there is the same word used back in the Gospels for the lame man who was healed and picked up his bed like his little cot. So what it's saying there is, is that God, the Lord Jesus, upholds and sustains the universe as easily as a man just picks up a little bed and walks off with it. That's the power that God has. When you read a passage like this, I mean, this is real long-term care insurance, isn't it? I mean, this is, this is real travel insurance. You and I have full coverage. And we, we come not only to a God who cares, but a God who can. It's one thing for God to want to help us, to care about us, but He's not just a God who cares. He's a God who can. I mean, he's a God who's capable. One, one person said it like this, what a context in which to set our problems. We can turn to a God who laid the foundations of the earth, who stretched out the heavens as a scroll, who causes the grass to grow, who has filled the sea with innumerable teeming things, who opens His hand and feeds all living things, who sets the boundaries of the sea, who sees the sparrow fall to the ground, and who, and who looks to the earth and it trembles and touches the hills and they smoke. That's the context in which you and I can put our, our problems. God's help for us is a capable help. He's the maker of heaven and earth. Now, looking to God, the psalmist, though, doesn't just discover God's capable help, but he also discovers God's constant help. You notice there in verses 3 through 6 that he uses the image of a camp with guards posted to keep watch. And the psalmist here pictures God like a, a tireless watchman and a sleepless guard who watches over us and keeps a watch over us day and night. Notice in uh, verse 3, he says, He will not allow your foot to slip. Now, what that probably represents is just any kind of danger along the way. God won't allow your foot to slip. I was reading a commentary this last week by Alan Ross. He's a great commentator on the Psalms. He used to teach at Dallas Seminary. But he made a statement that caught my attention. Listen to this one little sentence. He says, Such protection from slipping would require attention be given to every step of the way. If God will never let your foot slip, what does that mean? God is watching you and He's watching me every step of the way in our lives. He guards us and He sees us every step. The all-seeing eye of God is upon us. The Lord is never unattentive. Uh, God is never a, a, a sleeping shepherd. God is the great unsleeping shepherd, if you will. One, one person said it like this. This is pretty profound. It says, God is the great insomniac, whoever watches over His people and walks beside them. Now, many of you here are uh, younger and have uh, small children at home, and a lot of you have those baby monitors. I mean, I don't know what kind of technology you might have now. You may have big screens where you can see everything that's happening. But, you know, we had these little, these kind of crummy little, you know, baby monitors you could put in there that we could hear some sound or whatever. And so it'd make you sleep better because you could hear what was going on and, and be awakened if the baby would cry out in the night or something like that. And I think that's how a lot of people view God. 
They view God as he's kind of got a baby monitor up in heaven, and maybe he's sacked out or whatever. But if we cry out, then he can kind of wake up and help us. But that's not the picture here. We use a, a baby monitor to watch over our children so we can just try to get a few hours sleep. But God doesn't wake up when we cry out to him. God never sleeps, and he never slumbers. God works at the night shift. He protects us around the clock, 24-7, 365 days a year. And we need to allow this truth to tuck us into bed every night, that God never goes to sleep and God never slumbers. We can wake up at any point in the night if we awaken in the night and we can begin to talk with him, our great unsleeping shepherd. There's a man named Bishop Quayle years ago. He was a well-known Methodist preacher one night he was working into the early morning hours trying to finish some work and solve some problems. And uh, he was under intense pressure and just feeling all kinds of, of, of uh, weariness and frustration. And he was annoyed. And suddenly his eyes fell upon his Bible that was open on his desk. And his Bible was open to Psalm 121. And his eyes fell upon those words, He who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. And he was exhausted and fighting a losing battle. And he felt like when he read those words that God spoke this into his heart. Quail, there's no need for both of us to stay up all night. I'm going to be up anyway. You go ahead and go to bed and get a good sleep. That's the way it is for you and me. Look, God's going to be up all night anyway. We might as well go to bed and get a good sleep at night. God's always awake. He's always watching us. And notice in uh, verse 6, he says, the sun will not smite you by day, nor the moon by night. And he says, uh, and let me go back to verse 5, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. So God's watch care is kind of like shade in the desert heat. And when he mentions the right hand here, the, the right hand is the, the hand of authority. It's uh, the, the kind of the, the public hand. So it refers to, to what people do. So you could translate the right hand like this, whatever you put your hand to, God's shade is on your right hand. So wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever you put your hand to, God's shade is covering you. You kind of picture it like this. You can imagine one of these long caravans traveling during the day, sun's beating down on you, it's hot, and you have somebody walking next to you that's about twice your size that's just covering you all day long and you're just keeping right in step with them so you can walk in their shade all day. That's what it says God does for us. God's our shade. He's our protection. He's our coverage. Whatever we put our hand to. This speaks of the, the totality and the comprehensiveness of God's protection of us. Look, with, with God, with the maker of heaven and earth, you and I have constant capable coverage over our lives. And not only over our lives, but over the lives of our children and of our grandchildren. One of the great stories I read years ago, I mean, this is a, to me, this is a gripping story. It's, it's from the life of Ira Sankey. Um, many of you may not have heard of him. Ira Sankey was the song leader for D.L. Moody and his great evangelistic uh, enterprises he was involved in. If you know much about Billy Graham, you remember he had George Beverly Shea, who led the music and sang at his, at his uh, crusades. That's kind of what Ira Sankey was like for D.L. Moody, a very well-known man in his day because of, because of Moody's prominence. But back on Christmas Eve of 1876, Ira Sankey was traveling on a steamboat up the Delaware River. 
And on the deck, a lot of people were gathered there, and some people recognized him and, and knew that this was Ira Sankey, a great singer. So they asked him if he would come, on deck, come up on deck and sing some songs for them. Now, obviously, it's Christmas Eve, so he was going to sing some Christmas songs. But he leaned against a post there just for a moment and, and was thinking and, and praying to the Lord. And for some reason, he didn't know why at the time, the Lord laid it on his heart to sing that great song, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Much we need thy tender care. In thy pleasant pastures feed us. For our use thy folds prepare. So he sings this song, and when he's finished, um, there's just a stillness there. His song just kind of floated beautifully out there. You can imagine on the deck of a ship like that into the night. But at the end of the song, I'll pick up the story here. There was an almost audible response, and a man stepped forward, a very rough-looking man. And he said to Ira Sankey, Did you ever serve in the Union Army? And Ira Sankey said, yes, I did. He says, can you remember if you were doing picket duty on a bright moonlit night in 1862? And Ira Sankey said, well, yes, I, I remember that. And he said, well, I, did, I was there too, but he said, I was serving in the Confederate Army. When I saw you standing at your post, I said to myself, that fellow will never get away from here alive. I raised my musket and took aim. I was in the shadow completely hidden while you walked about in full moonlight. At that instant, you began to sing. Just as a moment ago, the song you sang was Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us. The music reached my ear, and I took my finger off the trigger, and I thought I'll wait until the end of the song to shoot him because I can't miss him. He's standing right out in the moonlight. He's a real compassionate guy. <laughs> Let him finish this song and then shoot him. But he said, as you sang, you reached the, the verse of the song that says, We are thine, do thou befriend us. Be the guardian of our way. I could hear every word perfectly and how the memories came to my heart. I began to think of my childhood and my mother. She loved God and she'd sung that song to me many times. But she died all too soon. Otherwise, I think my life might have been different. At the end of the song, I couldn't raise my musket again. It was impossible for me to take aim, though you stood in the bright moonlight a perfect target. I thought of the Lord and I looked at you and thought, the Lord who was able to save that man from certain death must be great and mighty. My arm dropped to my side, and I cannot tell you all the things I thought at that time, but my heart was smitten, and I didn't know what to do. Just now when you were about to sing and you stood quietly as if praying, I recognized you. I've wandered far and wide since that occasion. I've never found that shepherd. Please help me find a cure for my sin-sick soul. It says, deeply moved, Mr. Sankey threw his arms around the man who had been his enemy, who indeed could have ended his life. That Christmas Eve night, a former soldier found the great and tender shepherd as his Savior. That's a, a powerful story. I mean, think about all those years Iris Sankey going along. You never knew about that. But how that one night in 1862, how God had come and God had uh, preserved his life. God's help is a capable, constant help. As I read this psalm, I thought about two times uh, I thought about two past times in my life when I was driving in my car and you, you all probably have situations like this. When you think back about something, you almost break out in a cold sweat. I mean, it's such a fearsome thing. There's at least two times I can remember I should have had bad accidents. I probably would have been killed and probably would have killed some other people. And both those times, I wasn't even involved in an accident at all. And I look back on those times and I read a psalm like this. Where's my help going to come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And you and I need to take this to heart this morning. As I read this, you might have noticed this, but verses 1 and 2 are in the first person. 
I'll lift up my eyes to the hills where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. But notice verse 3, it shifts to the third person. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not stumble. Behold, he who keeps Israel, the Lord is your keeper. He's your shade on your right hand. Now, because of this, a lot of scholars believe that as they're walking along in the caravan, the psalmist speaks the first two verses, and then someone else broke in and began to speak to the psalmist. Maybe it was another traveler, or many people believe maybe it was a priest that was traveling along with them. But my view is, and this is the view of a lot of other commentators as well, is that this is an internal dialogue within the psalmist himself. And what you have here now is he's talking to himself. He's saying, he will not allow your foot to slip. He who beholds you will not slumber. In other words, he's talking to himself. And if you were with us back last fall, when we looked at Psalm 42, we saw that one of the important things in life is for us to preach to ourselves. To not listen to ourselves so much, but to speak to ourselves uh, the truth of God. And so you and I need to be constantly reminding ourselves of God's constant help and be preaching this sermon to ourselves that the one who is our helper is the maker of heaven and earth. He's not going to let our foot slip. He's going to be the shade on our right hand. We won't be smitten by the sun by day or the moon by night. So God's help is, is capable, it's constant, but it's also a comprehensive help. Uh, there's no small print in this insurance policy. This is full coverage. Uh, this is comprehensive coverage that God gives to you and to me. Notice what it says. It's day and night. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. Now we think of that and we say, well, I can see how we wouldn't want the sun to smite us by day, but how does the moon smite you at night? Well, back in this time, there were common legends that people would get moonstruck. You may have heard of that. In fact, uh, the, the modern word that we have, lunatic or lunacy, come from the idea of lunar, from the moon. So the Bible is not saying that that legend is true. It's simply recognizing that's what these people, many of them, believed. So he's saying that the sun won't smite you by day, and you're not going to get moonstruck at night. So it's day and night. It's in every circumstance of life. In verse 8, he says, He guards your going out and your coming in. So this looks at all the activities and all the actions of life. And then notice the very last words in verse 8, From this time forth and forever. So God's coverage for you and me, it's day and night, it's coming and going, and it's now and it's forevermore. So it's today, it's tomorrow, it's every day after that, it's this life, and it's the life to come. So God, God's care for you and me extends to every place, every setting, and spans time and all of eternity. And he says in verse 7, the Lord will protect you from all evil. Now, the word evil here, the, the Hebrew word, is, is not used in the sense that we think of it, of you know, evil, malevolent actions. It's just any kind of calamity or misfortune in life, anything that brings pain and distress to a person. Now, as you read through this psalm, you think to yourself, well, man, I've had a lot of accidents in my life. Was God not watching over me then? Or I know a lot of other people who have. There's a disclaimer and a caution here that we want to mention. This is not saying in this psalm that we will never have problems or experience trouble because you can just read the psalms right around this one and you see that clearly stated. 
What it's saying here in this psalm, though, is that you and I can have confidence that no harm or disaster that does come to us is outside the care and the control of God. It's not that you and I will never experience harm or danger, but what it does mean is that everything that invades your life or my life is under the watchful care and the providence of God. That's the promise we have from Him. God has given us an open check, if you will, of His watch care over our lives. There's a story back from the Lewis and Clark expedition. When they set out, it was known they were going to run out of food. Their clothes were going to wear out. They'd run out of provisions. So they're going across the western part of the United States. And something, as far as I know, that's never been done before, uh, President uh, uh, Jefferson gave them an, an, un, an unlimited line of credit in their travels. He wrote this, he says, I ask of the consuls, agents, merchants, and citizens of any nation to furnish you with those supplies which your necessities may call for and to give you more more entire satisfaction and confidence to those who may be disposed to aid you. I, Thomas Jefferson, President of the United States of America, have written this letter of general credit for you with my own hand and signed it with my name. An unlimited line of credit from the President of the United States for anything they possibly could need. And when you read the Bible, there are about 7,000 promises in the Bible. And this is one of them in this passage that there's an unlimited credit line of care for you and me to draw upon every day. And it's comprehensive in our lives. God is our helper everywhere, all the time in every circumstance of life. That's a great thing to know as we we launch into a new year where there's so many things out ahead of us that we don't know. Eugene Peterson has a a great quote here that I want to share with you as we we wrap up here this morning. He says this. This is a, a great way to think about life. Christians travel the same ground that everyone else walks on. We breathe the same air. We drink the same water, we shop in the same stores, we read the same newspapers, we're citizens under the same governments, we pay the same prices for groceries and gasoline, we fear the same dangers, we're subject to the same pressures, we get the same distresses, we're buried in the same ground. Then he says this, the difference is that each step we walk, each breath we breathe, we know we're preserved by God. We know we're accompanied by God. We know we're ruled by God. And therefore, no matter what doubts we endure, what accidents we experience, the Lord will preserve us from evil. He will keep our life. I love that. I mean, you think about you and I go out and we shop and we live our lives. Our lives are the same as unbelievers in so many ways. But there's a big difference. The difference is every step we take, every breath we breathe, we're preserved by God. God will preserve us from evil. He will keep our life. So I don't know what you have planned for this year. You may have a lot of travel planned. I have a couple of trips, international trips planned this year that uh, Cheryl and I are, are planning on going, Lord willing. You may be a home, uh, away from home uh, a lot on business this year. When you send your kids off to school every day, I mean, you can't be with your kids everywhere, but God can. Or when your kids go to summer camp, Maybe you have a child getting their driver's license this year. You're going to be uh, thinking about that, about all the, the dangers and pitfalls that are out there. Maybe you, you've got a college student you're going to watch drive away to college or get on an airplane and fly away. Maybe you're concerned about an aging parent and you can't be with them all the time. Maybe it's when you sleep at night, you're restless and filled with anxiety. 
Let's take strong consolation in this coming year and the constant, capable, comprehensive help of our great God, the maker of heaven and earth. Look, is there something you're dreading this year? Maybe there's something you already know about that's out there on the horizon, something you're fearing, something you're afraid of. As we lift up our eyes to the hills, to 2019, we anticipate potential dangers, challenges, but also the wonderful opportunities that God has for us. Where's our help going to come from? Where are we going to find help and protection and care? Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. May we rest in him and trust in him this year. Let's pray together. Look, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus, let me say this. I want to make this as clear as I can. You don't need a helper today. You need a Savior. Jesus didn't come to just help us out, but he came to save us. There's nothing we can do to earn merit with God. So if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, before Jesus can become your helper, he's got to be your Savior. You have to give up on yourself and give up all of your efforts to somehow please him or earn merit with God. You have to come to Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for your sins and rose again. You have to trust in him. There's a simple verse. It's the words of Jesus himself in John chapter 10. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved. Jesus is the gateway to God. Jesus offers you this morning the opportunity to, to walk through him into the very presence of God. He's the gate to God the one who paid the price for your sins and rose again. So you've never trusted in him to be your savior. That's what you need to do this morning. He's got to be your savior before he can be your helper. But Father, for those of us who know you here this morning and trust in you, we look out on this coming year, a lot of challenges. We know there are dangers out there we don't even know about. Father, there are all kinds of opportunities you have there for us. So as we look out onto this year and we wonder, where is my help going to come from? Oh, Father, I pray that you'd help every one of us to take this to heart. Our help comes from the maker of the heaven and the earth, the one who controls it all, sustains it all, directs it all, guides it all. You're with us day and night when we come and go. You're with us now and on to new eternity. Oh, Father, give us great comfort this coming year and great trust in you, the maker of heaven and earth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand with me for the benediction as we're dismissed. If you are visiting with us today, if you go out these doors around to your left, uh, there's a a welcome center there, some folks who'd love to give you some more information about our church. Also, our elders who are in this service will be down front. We'd love the opportunity to get acquainted or or pray with you about maybe any kind of a need you have or if you'd just like to, to talk for a few moments, we'd love that. Also, I wanted to mention, to kind of get ahead of this again, I mentioned some months ago we're planning an Israel trip in March of 2020. I kind of announced it for a while. I haven't talked about it over the holidays, but that'll be a year from March. And the reason I mention that is we're having some people from other places wanting to go on our trip, and I want to give people from here the first opportunity to go. So if, you're, if you think you want to go or you're planning on that, there's some brochures out in the lobby you can get online. And um, you might want to try to do that here next two or three months because we're going to have to make a decision this spring about allowing some other people to come with us. So just wanted to make you aware of that. Well, let's bow our heads now for the benediction as uh, we leave here together with the Lord's blessing upon us. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. All God's people said, Amen. Covered in sin and